All systems spied by Fox. But what if there is no tomorrow? There wasn't one today. Welcome to episode 135 of the Nerdfest podcast. This week's nerds are... John Farley, Andy Chandler, Peter Johnson, Dan Watkins, Hazel Chandler, question mark? <laughs> Andy looks worried there. <laughs> Why is your name hyphenated out? Who is this Mr. Question Mark and do I have to fight him? <laughs> <laughs> On today's show, we are discussing a medley of what we've been enjoying recently, including still a Michael J. Fox film, Dead Ringers, the Power, The Diplomat, and Silo. Plus, we have our review of Guardians and the Galaxy 3. Guardians of the Galaxy. They have saved the whole galaxy on a couple of occasions. Fine. Guardians of the Galaxy, <laughs> Volume 3. No spoilers, though, so if you haven't seen it, don't worry. So, let's start the show. Hey, Dan. Hello. Nice to see you in person. I know. We saw you, well, we heard you from the Star Wars celebration. Yes. But we didn't, I haven't seen you for a while. I know. A whole of the Marvel films come out since I was last on the podcast. Yes, Mm. that's true. I think the last episode I was on in person, we reviewed Quantumania. Mm -hmm. Uh, It's now on Disney Plus. Yep. Good good for everyone. (laughs) Well, I finally watched that the other week. Mm -hmm. Nah. 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 (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I think that's a fairly accurate view, actually. (laughs) But yes, in the meantime, I went to a galaxy far, far away and back. Not on the Galactic Star Cruiser anymore. So out of all the people who were there, who was very nice and who was probably a bit of a prick? <laughs> well, all those stormtroopers, awful mm. people, mm. a lot of them. Mostly fascists. Yeah, yeah. mostly. 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 Mm. There's the odd nice one. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but you can't tell, you see, because they all... Mm-hmm. Oh, you can, because occasionally if there's a good stormtrooper, he always gets some distinguishing feature in his armour very early on so that you can tell him apart. Yeah. Wow. It's like yeah. at the start of The Force Awakens, like when Finn gets a big smear of blood on his helmet, mm-hmm. just solely so you can tell him apart from all the other ones. <laughs> it worked. Aren't they clones? The storm not troopers. by this point, no. Oh, right. Somebody's okay. not caught up on season no. two oh, of The Bad Batch. Know. Do they not run out of clones and start having to recruit normals again? Would you like me to Bad Batch explain to you? Nope. Nope. (laughs) Because season two is about the decommissioning of the clone army and the replacement of them by stormtroopers as kind of willing converts. Didn't the Empire, when they ran out of clones, go around picking up orphans? That's the First Order. Oh. Yeah. But it's even worse to kill them in that case. It kind of is, yeah, because you're killing brainwashed kids and the fact that Finn is one of those kids who's grown up and has defected away from that lifestyle means there is potential for all the First Order stormtroopers. So what you're saying is Luke Skywalker committed genocide on orphans? No, but Ray did. Ray did. (laughs) (laughs) Never liked her. So what did you make of Guardians? I really liked it and didn't expect to. Hmm. I wasn't that fussed about it. 2022 was a Marvel year that wasn't the best. Won't go down in history. Moon Knight was all right. And I think that's probably about it. I enjoyed some of Loved the TV, She-Hulk. actually. Yeah, I, not so much. Loved She-Hulk. I quite liked Miss Marvel. We're slowing down on them, though, aren't we? Apparently, we're not Ridiculously, getting... Ridiculously, yeah. I mean, there'll only be like one show in a year, I think. Secret Invasion is in June this year. Echo is November. And Loki season two in between. Yeah, so we've got three this year coming. That's quite a lot still, yeah. isn't yeah. it? No, but, but the Secret <laughs> yeah. Invasion will be the only one in a 12-month period. That's true. Mm-hmm. But they are cutting back going forward. Bob Biger has said they're reducing the... But worse, that's cutting back more, as yeah. in they've already cut back, and they're doing it even more. So it makes you wonder why Marvel fans would bother keeping a Disney subscription. Mm. We, we had Marvel or Star Wars every week for a while, didn't we? Mm, and that yeah. was really good value, but I guess it's just not sustainable. Even the people who like stuff, like there's been nothing stand out for a while. Mm-hmm. No. And so. there was there's Guardians 2. Yeah, which is not... Anywhere near no. the top 30 marbles. <laughs> um, there's only, what, 32 of them? I know. Uh, so my expectations were not high. I thought, go see it. I'll probably have a decent time, but ended up getting really invested in it and really enjoying it. Thought it had one of the best villains yes. Yes, out I agree of with that. any Marvel. And the fact that it just honed in, it focused on... The characters from the first one told their story, didn't 
faff about with multiverses or mm-hmm. multiple timey-wimey things or tried to set up 10 other things while it was going. I just really appreciated that. Yeah. And yeah, it got me. And then they put Springsteen on over the credits and it got me again. <laughs> you inspired me to go and want to see it. Uh, I was on the, on the fence Uh-oh. and then you're... No, 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 I'm not blaming you. Um, I am. I'm sorry. <laughs> no, no. Look, you... I liked it, Andy. We know that that means you're going to hate it. I didn't hate it, but not too far off. That, that's Hazel. a compliment from Andy terms. But um, mm-hmm. the fact that it was going to focus on Rocket's backstory was like, yeah, I'm, I'm, I love mm. that character and he hasn't really been shown how he came to be who he is. It's been hinted at, but nothing explicit. And James Gunn, I think, said was that was one of the main reasons that kept him going through because he was, he was out and then he was in again, but it was a long protracted process. And that was the thing. It's like, I really, really want to tell Rocket's backstory. And mm. it really does focus on that. And it, it is heartbreaking. It's yes. really a dark film. Yeah. I, I mean, I really like that part of it. Uh, kids might find it a bit scary. I don't know, because it's quite reminiscent of Toy Story. the toys next door. Yeah, mm. exactly. Is it Sid's toys? Yeah. In that they've all been kind of experimented on. And speaking of Sid, I have seen comparisons of him to Will Poulter, who was also in Guardians 3. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> I thought I recognised him. <laughs> One thing it maybe is a bit odd because it keeps cutting back to his story rather than spending 20 minutes there and then coming out of it. Mm. And tonally it makes it a bit odd because you're going to the light and fluffy stuff and then back to the very dark stuff. Yeah. And I think that's maybe one thing it didn't quite get right. Yeah. It just felt a bit over fabby by the end. Like we, we both felt we'd watched a three hour movie even though it's yeah. two and a half there, hours. There's a section in the middle where they go to a particular planet and I could have done without most yeah. of that. I, I know it was comics-y. And Ian May would tell us all to embrace it. <laughs> but that's, that's the bit I could have taken 15 minutes out of that. But in terms of what I think has been called tonal whiplash, this one, compared to something like Love and Thunder, mm. is mm-hmm. pretty mild yeah. in comparison. Mm. I would trust James Gunn to get that tone right more than I would Taika Waititi, mm-hmm. I think. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, I like the flashbacks. I think there should be a, a, a warning for kids. And like for me, when like when it comes to animals in peril, mm-hmm. like I uh, mm-hmm. that that is my line. I can't deal with it. I have physical reactions to it. With this film, I thought I'll go in with a kind of <laughs> a little bit of a, an armor, but it was okay. It was kind of at the line, mm. but it didn't yeah. cross the line. I think okay. it helped that they were all entirely CG all the time. That's true. Were they? <laughs> Sorry. I, no, stop it. Um, it made the high evolutionary... That's why James Gunn really got fired. <laughs> <laughs> what, bolting yeah. things but off? That, that was the main animals. thing I didn't like about his The Suicide Squad. Mm. Uh, like the characters who were the anti-heroes in that would just kill... Lo- loads of birds died in The Suicide Squad for yeah. no reason Dan, other than... Dan, can you stop calling women that? <laughs> <laughs> hey, stop that. <laughs> Yeah, I don't know how to describe chicks. What do you think, love? <laughs> Flapper, little flappers? I don't know. Oh. Anyway, yeah, loads of animals died in the Suicide Squad for no real reason, and that put me off that film. But the fact that it was a really, really evil, horrible, hissable villain sort of helps. Yeah, yeah definitely. He does, um, he does stuff for the Royal Shakespeare does. Company. Aye, that's what they call it. Yeah. Um, what did you do last night? To, why have we put a, a, an I accent on? I went on stage on? and I did stuff. Stuff, aye. <laughs> King uh, Leo. Um, yeah, Chuck Woody Awoji. He's also the team leader in Peacemaker. He is. And he's very good in that as well. Mm. But I read the feature in Empire Magazine about Guardians 3. Yeah. That was his way into the character. He was finding passages from Shakespeare that he could apply to that character. It was like hamming it up, it's probably but not quite hamming tiresome. it up. Probably if you're working with him, I would imagine. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, we've just come off an episode where we had a whole segment on Shia LaBeouf and another one about Johnny Depp, so, <laughs> you know, in comparison, yeah. I think a bit of Shakespeare's probably all right. <laughs> if Marvel decide to get rid of Kang the Conqueror because of things... Hmm. that may or may not have come to I've pass. I've heard they're recasting rather than replacing. Yeah. I mean, it's multiverse rubbish anyway, mm-hmm. but you could just say, oh, the High Evolutionary's a Kang variant and go from there. Yeah. And just have him play Kangs. I'd be fine with that. He would do a great job of it. He would. <laughs> In fairness. Yeah. So what would we give Guardians out of 10, do you think? I've seen it twice now, mm-hmm. and it didn't get me emotionally the second time because I knew what was coming. Mm-hmm. I still found it effective for the most part. The bit in the middle still drags a bit mm. but because of how much i enjoyed it 
and how much more than my expectations it was the first time, it's probably a 9 out of 10 for me. Wow. It's hmm. the most I've enjoyed a Marvel film since Stop Looking at Me Eternals. <laughs> <laughs> I was with you until... <laughs> so it's been a few months since I watched Eternals. I'm like, I need to watch it a sixth time. I like Eternals. I'm with Thank you, you I'm, I'm with Thank you on you. Eternals. Thank yeah. you. Half of there, it is good. There are, there are dozens of us. <laughs> dozens. <laughs> I'd probably be more of a high seven. Yeah. High seven, low eight. Seven and a half, eight, yeah. I think I'd probably lean towards a, a six, and that feels slightly generous. A high five? Who hurt you? <laughs> You'll find out in his backstory in episode one for the end. <laughs> I find that it has uh, less of the irritatingly tiresome humour in it than volume two did, but still some. And my very favourite part of the film slash least favourite part of the film there's a bit where they're trying to get into a place and then they do the postmodern ironic um oh we're distracted by something trivial when we ought to be focusing on the really important thing we're doing little riff and they're having an argument about radio transmissions and then oh yeah yeah one one character <laughs> just has enough of it and just shouts at the rest of them can we please get back to trying to do what we're trying to do no spoilers and uh, did you applaud um i i, I had a little fist pump um, and <laughs> i just thought yeah exactly right why should we give a shit about what you're doing when you're distracted by something completely inane you Useless non-characters. Uh, so, yeah, six out of ten. <laughs> wow. Right, let's go to our main review section. So we're each going to talk about something that we have been really enjoying. Well, John, really enjoying? Yes. Oh, there we go. Wow. <laughs> enjoying recently. I mean, enjoyment is a, is a, is a phase. In today's special episode. <laughs> John, this is the recommendations. So. Yeah, I, it's, it's, it's a show that I will highly recommend, but I would not say I enjoyed watching sections of it. Right. Okay. Cool. Fair enough. I think I'm already out. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, I feel like we should learn more about Michael J. Fox's story. Oh, Andy. Conveniently, I've got something prepared about that. Uh, but Are you talking I... about Michael J. Fox? Still. Oh, God. I, I am. <laughs> Before I begin, though, can I just mention that uh, Ian McLaughlin is, is not here this week, but um, I think if he was here, he would recommend that nobody watches The Swarm. Mm-hmm. Yes. It's the one where in the advert, someone says, something has weaponized the sea, which is my favourite terrible line of dialogue I've yes. ever heard. I've been really looking forward to watching Swarm and Ian's savaging of it is only making me look forward to watching yeah. it more. I'll paraphrase Ian's uh, review. It's shit. Eight episodes of people running away from crabs and then there's no payoff at the end. So, yeah, take it's like that basically for basically a, a day at Whitley Bay. <laughs> <laughs> Pretty much, yeah. <laughs> but I would like to recommend still the Michael J. Fox movie, which is a documentary on Apple TV+, Plus, if you have that. Based on his memoirs, Fox tells the story of his life, career, and struggle with Parkinson's disease in his own words. Uh, It starts, funnily enough, at the beginning. As a child, his size influenced the way he interacted with people and the interests he pursued. He always liked to make people laugh and developed a love of acting, which became a career as he seized the opportunities afforded to him by being able to play younger than he really was. He moved out to Hollywood and, after initially struggling to make a living, wound up as the lead on the popular TV show Family Ties, which I've never seen. His star exploded with his role in Back to the Future, and he lived the high life until, in 1991, he was diagnosed with Parkinson's disease, a fact that he kept private for seven years. He became an activist, promoting and funding research into a cure, and continued to work as an actor up until his retirement in 2021. So his story is interesting enough on its own, but the real heart of the film is Michael J. Fox himself, his charisma, his humour, and his candour. Much of the film is driven by face-to-face interviews, and his matter-of-fact honesty about his life and experience is really compelling. In no way is it a sob story, nor is it making an obvious effort to deliberately pull at heartstrings. He gives a frank account of what it's like to live with Parkinson's, how it sucks and how he manages, and uh, also how he remains very much himself. At one point he describes how he fell and broke his cheekbone, but points out that it's just how it goes with Parkinson's. Sometimes you fall. His personality really shines throughout. Mark Kermode made the excellent observation that I would love to steal, but I have to credit him that Michael J. Fox faces both triumph and adversity in exactly the same way. He's totally authentic and remains both an optimist and a realist at the same time, and he can't help but love the guy. It's called still because stillness is what he's really searching for, and even though Parkinson's prevents him from achieving that physically, he has still managed it in the peace and love in which he lives with his family. It's directed with a real flair by Davis Guggenheim, whose resume includes An Inconvenient Truth, It Might Get Loud, and He Named Me Malala, 
the film consists of new interviews, footage of physical therapy, clips from film and TV, archive footage, and dramatised scenes with actors representing stories that are being narrated by Fox. It's slick and very well put together. So overall, you get just over 90 minutes in the company of a unique and wonderful human being basking in his warmth and humour and complete openness about both the struggles and the joys of his life. Hmm. I have seen it too, and I agree with all of those positive things. It's really, really Mm. an engaging documentary. You go into it thinking, is it going to be a sob story? Are you just going to feel sad and sorry Mm -hmm. for him? And there's absolutely zero self-pity. Yeah. Mm. His wife and his kids don't allow him any either. They just get on with that. There's a scene fairly early on where he's walking out of his apartment building and people are saying hello to him, he's saying hello back and he just falls and gets back up and says to the person who had just said hello to him has rushed back to help. Oh, you knocked me off my feet there. <laughs> and he's able to just put a one-liner in there. Yeah. Mm-hmm. He does that when he goes and testifies in front of Congress as well. He walks up to the podium and he says, I'm extremely moved to be here. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <Not many times. laughs> so that helps filter your attitude towards what you're watching. You're mm. not watching something and going oh how terrible how sad you're watching it and Mm -hmm. being impressed with how well everybody deals with an incredibly difficult thing being diagnosed at 29 is very very unusual for that how he tried to hide it for years from his Mm -hmm. castmates even though he's in a hell of a lot of pain was that when he was on spin city yeah Yeah, Yeah. i think so yeah. yeah and there's a section and this is where the archive footage comes in really well of showing how for years he would always try and have something in his left hand which would hide the tremors Mm. and you see footage from all of these films from the early 90s up to probably Frighteners era, where he's either got his left hand in his pocket or he's holding something, which just illustrates the point being made, and the archive footage throughout the films used really, really well. Yeah, and I would have not noticed that at the time, because I remember watching Mm. Spin City and the films and stuff and wouldn't have picked up on it. No, not at all. I was aware, I haven't seen it, but I'm aware that it was not going to be a sob story because I've seen enough of michael j fox over the years to see that he's kind of relentlessly positive as much as he can be and kind of makes jokes and one lines does it get behind that and because it must be incredibly difficult for him day to day and yeah, yeah there does is it get behind there's that a kind bit of that stands shield? out to me where he's talking about something to camera and you hear the director just behind the camera asking him about pain and he just says something like yeah i'm in pain all the time yeah mm-hmm. So there's moments like that and you see the physical therapy and that is another bit that has stuck with me. How incredible his therapist is, Mm. his attitude, the way he helps him out without being obvious that he's helping, the way he encourages him, the way he reacts to things. That guy was exceptional. The, The film doesn't brush over how devastating this has been for him. You know, he's very funny and he has a wonderful way of looking at things. But there are moments that really, really get you. Like um, he was asked, where do you see yourself in 20 years time? And he's like, I don't, I don't, mm-hmm. I'm not going to be here. Which is mm. really, really, you know, he, he, know, he understands his position in the world. He's trying to fight for more money to go to research on Parkinson's. He's raised like a ridiculous amount, mm. hasn't he? It's like yeah. billions. Him mm. and like Muhammad Ali. He's an incredible person. But he's also very, as Andy mentioned, very honest about his life before this and how, you know, the director, I think, Ashley, like, were you a bit of a dick? He's like, yeah, I was a bit of a dick yeah. on set. Uh-huh. Yeah. So he's very frank and honest and very authentic and, and, and it's but incredibly charming. Really nice. I think there's a nice story about how he met his wife because his wife was yeah. on Family Ties and yes. he, he was being a dick on set and she just called like, him out called on her. Yeah. And he's like, <laughs> yeah. I'm in love with you. Yeah. <laughs> um, what is really nice is... 35 years later, still married, mm-hmm. which for a Hollywood thing yeah. is really, really rare. Yeah. And I don't think his attitude's a recent thing, because I read his mm-hmm. an autobiography that he wrote about 15 years ago, maybe. And, and that was very much the same sort of attitude you're talking about. Mm-hmm. So it, he seems to have been handling it really well throughout. Yeah. I think a lot of the narration on the film is from the audio recording of yeah. the books. You see yeah. um, oh, snippets, right. of, uh, snippets of him recording it. And, he, and he's, he struggled over some bit. He's like, who wrote this? <laughs> <laughs> but it is a celebration of his career yeah. as well. Yeah. And that yeah. fact for a, a few years from when Back to the Future came out through to probably Back to the Future 3, there was that period where he was one of the biggest yeah. stars in the yeah. world. 
one and two at the box office mm. yeah. yeah i was just trying to think of what other films you've made i mean for the frighteners is brilliant i know andy mm. was telling me the other day he hasn't seen it and i would strongly that recommend a it pull cup it's on yeah. my list mm-hmm. uh teen wolf yeah oh right yes i'd forgotten that he, he kind of dropped off after batsuk so he did doc hollywood that didn't really work very well mm-hmm. and then the yeah. one where he had the hotel the concierge. Yeah. Oh, and there was, I remember another one which was more about, say, being a finance guy in the city or the something. The secret of my success. Is it that? Yeah. All right, okay. He talks about his um, film career and that he started a family around the same time that he was diagnosed with Parkinson's mm. and how he kind of missed key moments of his young uh, son's life and therefore decided that TV was a more stable, mm-hmm. regular job where he could spend more time with his family and mm. try and process what the diagnosis actually is that's why we kind of went mm-hmm. more into tv yes yeah, so that's where spin city yeah came into it i can't remember did it continue without him yeah it did charlie sheen yeah for, a couple for of like seasons. two seasons yeah. it was not it was a drop mm. um because i remember maybe 10 15 years ago itv2 started just replaying all the mm-hmm. spin city and i had not seen it before and really enjoyed because he's great in it Barry Bostwick from Rocky Horror Picture yeah. Show's The Mayor. You've got Connie Britton, who's great. Alan Rook from Succession's in there. It's a fantastic cast. That, that's a generation thing that you yeah. say, yeah. Alan yeah. Rook from Succession rather than Alan I Rook know, from Tennis Bueller. that's what he's known for. <laughs> and so you've got five seasons of it being really good. Then Michael J. Fox leaves, Charlie Sheen comes in. They brought in Heather Locklear yeah. as well. And it drops off a cliff quality-wise. Yeah. And I think it's probably around that time that Bill Lawrence went off and started Scrubs. Mm-hmm. There's mm. probably a bit of overlap there as well. So, Andy, how many Calvin Klein boxer shorts would you give <laughs> Michael J. Fox? It gets nine. It's okay. really, really great. That sounds like you're going to deliver nine pairs of boxer shorts <laughs> to him. So anyone that watches uh, this documentary as a result of my recommendation, you will receive underwear in the post. But not from Andy. (laughs) 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 Randomly selected member of the podcast team. Yeah, I've been meaning to watch this all week and um, I'm I'm afraid I didn't before the podcast, but I'm really looking forward to it. So I'm going to maybe sit and watch it. You're a bad person. I am. Get into it. It's uh, still a Michael J. Fox film. It's on Apple TV Plus and it is absolutely worth anyone's Mm. time. Cool. Does anyone actually pay for Apple TV Plus or just get it as part of having I think I do at this point. Yeah, I do at this point. Yeah. It just seems to be that their subscribers are entirely people that have bought an iPhone or whenever you buy anything from Curry's or anything, they, they, they love you like three months of Apple TV. Poor Apple. Not getting that subscriber money. How will they cope? Oh, no. <laughs> and it's actually a lot on Apple TV now. Oh, there's loads of great stuff. Yeah. My recommendation fact, this time. Shall we go over to yeah. you, Dan? Yeah. It's also on Apple TV. <laughs> yeah. Just kind of sneakily going up, hasn't it? Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, we got Apple TV Plus back recently after Peter's recommendation of Slow Horses right, on this right, very good. podcast, which is great. It is, it's brilliant. Yeah, really, really good. And kept it because Ted Lasso came back. <sighs> <laughs> um, You're all slowly coming over to the dark side on Ted Lasso, aren't you? Season three. Be, 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 yeah. be honest. Reluctantly. Yes. Admittedly, yeah. it did rescue wrong. itself a bit in the last week or two, but still. Yeah. Mm. I haven't even bothered watching the last episode. To be <laughs> well, <honest. there> you <laughs> are. But luckily, along comes another Apple TV property with one word in its title beginning with the letter S. Like all of them. Like all of them. <laughs> to join Still and Severance and Shrinking and C. 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 Yes. Sandwich. <laughs> I like Sandwich. Soundation. Soundation, yeah. Along came Silo to keep my subscription going for another 10 weeks or so. Silo is based on the Silo series of books by Hugh Howey. I think it's called Wool. The, the series is called Silo. The first one's called Wool. I have read them all and I was oh, about right. to say okay. that. <laughs> <laughs> Schooled. Don't yeah. challenge Dan on the <laughs> That's another Apple TV one. Um, yes. <laughs> so it's based on the Silo series of novels by Hugh Howey, which are called individually Wool, Shift and Sand, I think. But it could be Dust. I have read them all. They were originally self-published by Hugh Howie. They were really, really successful. And I was hearing recently how when publishers bought all of these rights, he retained the digital rights. So he still gets all of the ebook money from there, which was a pretty good deal. And then along comes Apple to spend all of the money on an adaptation of, I think this first series is some of Wool. So it's some of the first book. The first book is the best of the three. 
even if you stop mm-hmm. after one, you've read probably the best one. The story continues, but goes off into very different directions. But that's getting four or five seasons ahead of us. The first season is set in the silo, which is a huge underground 144 level structure where the last people left alive live. Outside is an apocalyptic wasteland. If you're lucky, you're at the top. If you're an engineer working on the generators and the furnaces to keep it all running, you're down at the bottom. If you're just getting by, you're in the middle levels. And Ooh, it's a metaphor. It is, very much so. I think they say it takes like a day to walk from one to the other. Because there's only stairs. There's no lifts in the silo. And in the first episode, you get the story of the sheriff, played by David Yellowo, and his wife, played by Rashida Jones from Parks and Recreation. They have been given a 365-day window to try and conceive a baby because population control is quite important when you've only got a very limited space for your population. Things start to go a little bit twisty-turny, and you find out what happens if somebody says they want to go outside. When you go outside, it is a death sentence. You don't come back inside again. You will be dead. I won't say much more than that, because I'll allow the intrigue to build. I watched this with Amy, and she had not read the books, and spent the entire episode going, what's happening? What's yeah. going on outside? I need to know. Yeah. What's it like? What's going to happen? Um, so it really works on that level. Okay. And mm-hmm. I can confirm the books work in the same way. What he does is structure it in such a way where you think you know what's going on, and then suddenly a whole other level reveals itself. Mm-hmm. And what you think's going on is not what's going on at all. And it does it in a really effective way that grips you as a reader, and hopefully the adaptation will keep that going as well. Um, Peter's a little bit further ahead than I am. I've seen two. Yeah, I think I'm only three or four in. Okay. I've seen two. The other thing I really like about it is the world building. Again, it's going back to the book, but the series does this well. You just dropped in this world. They don't spend 20 pages explaining how it all works. You pick up the way that the systems run and the way people behave, and you start to understand what's going on as you go. It doesn't deal with exposition dumps. It also does a weird thing of kind of almost changing who the lead is. Like, yeah. after about an episode or two, mm-hmm. which is quite an interesting approach. It is, yeah. And I think that works quite well as well. Juliet is played by Rebecca Ferguson mm. off of the Mission Impossibles. Mm-hmm. And The Greatest Showman. And The Greatest Showman, obviously, where she obviously. played the singer. The singer. Yeah. Yeah, whose name was... Lovely. Lovely. Um, (laughs) Yes. But she's really good (laughs) as one of the engineers who gets caught up in a murder mystery that's going on. And She's also in June. She is in June. She played that... (laughs) The the lady. Yeah, who was... um, His name was... Lovely. Sandy. Uh, Sandy, yes, Sandy June. Um, (laughs) I remember it well. We can't go past episode three or four yet. No. I will keep shtum on that. But the world of the silo is really, really fascinating. The way it all works, it feels like it's all been thought out. And I really like shows that do that and don't have to then deal with, oh, no, we've got 10 more episodes. Let's snow pierce this and just go a bit silly. Hopefully, if this one sticks to the books, it'll be able to keep its momentum with an Apple TV budget rather than the Snowpiercer series that I never finished. So I watched the first two, mm. and to be honest, I'm not in a rush to watch anymore. Okay. I, I, it didn't work for me. It was a bit too snow piercy, and it, it, it may be that there's a big reveal that makes it worthwhile, but I, I found it a bit dull and ponderous. There, there will be big reveals coming, mm-hmm. but if the one in episode one didn't hook you, probably any future ones won't either. I would say. Whereas I'm enjoying it and mm. I like the feeling that there's a real world and a real backstory stuff to mm. be revealed. I'm still at the, I'm watching and I'll see where it goes sort <laughs> yeah. of thing, but uh, mm. whether I stay with it or not, I'm not yeah. sure yet. If they can get through a couple of seasons and at least tell the story of the first book, it'll feel like enough has been mm. revealed. It sounds like you won't mind it if they just cover the first book and don't bother so much about the other ones. <laughs> the, the other two were fine, but... Uh, The first one was a lot more propulsive and a lot Uh more compelling. If you're finding it slow now, if they get (laughs) to a season three, four, five, six. Episode three is a more straightforward, they're dealing with 
stuff in the boiler room. And okay. I think John would find that one a more straightforward, mm-hmm. enjoyable episode. But there's only so much time in the world. Yes. And <laughs> you don't want to devote an hour to something that you might not enjoy. I may give it one more. Yeah, I think it's worth it. Try episode three. I thought episode one was really, really good. So mm-hmm. yeah, it's getting a good drop off from... silo and good sort yeah. of audience figures. That's good. That's good. For the three people who have Apple TV. <laughs> and it's rarer here than it is in America. Right. There's sort of higher penetration there, apparently. Okay. It sounds really interesting. And uh, if what John says is right, and if it's dull and ponderous, then great. That's, <laughs> <laughs> t- t- tonight, Hazel, let's, let's, yeah. let's get it into a Mongolian translation and put yeah. the uh, English <laughs> subtitles on. And yeah, let's go for it. Yeah. Apple do normally translate it into lots of languages. So. Excellent. So I, I need to practice my Mongolian. I do, I do want to watch it, and I'm very intrigued by the review. <laughs> I have the most ridiculous reason for not having watched it so far, which is that the word silo, like... It's always used in work at the moment. Like everyone's working in <laughs> silos oh, no. and it's just oh, so yeah. annoying. And I'm like, am I going to be thinking about how departments aren't c- communicating? <laughs> <laughs> I don't like the title. No. I think it makes me think of silage. Oh, right, that okay. makes me think of that traumatic bit in the live action 101 Dalmatians where Glenn Close gets dunked in the, in the oh, yeah. So, yeah. <laughs> Has anyone heard of a comedy series called Colin from Accounts? Louise yes. watched it and said it's very good. I've had it recommended. Because apparently it has nothing to do with someone called Colin or accounts oh. either. It's an Australian comedy series. Mm-hmm. and It's not about a dog. That's the name of the dog. Oh. And that's only revealed at the end of the first episode. Oh. So <laughs> someone s- yeah. said they spent all their time watching it trying to work out whether they're actually watching the right show. Yeah. Because mm-hmm. it appeared to have mm-hmm. nothing to do with the title. Um, yeah, I get why they've called it Silo, because mm-hmm. just calling it wool, it's another metaphor, John. Uh, is it a bit of a yarn? It is. Oh. I, and I think once all the books came out, they started having that subtitle on the covers like Silo, book one. Mm-hmm. Then you hoped it. A little bit. But it, it's not the most inspiring of mm. titles. It doesn't make you think, ooh, I wonder what that's about. So in terms of a, a mark out of 10, are you in the bottom? Are you in the middle? Or oh. are you living at large? <laughs> <laughs> I think at the moment it's probably... A high 7 out of 10. Mm. It's got time to get better, but it's also got time to mess it up. But episode 1 was a really, really strong start. And it's only barely shifting into having the person who's the nominal lead, so... Yeah. Shift, that's book 2. Is it? (laughs) What would you number it? Could go either way. Mm. My current feeling is 8, but uh, it could Mm. go up or down. Up or down, like a silo. (laughs) Indeed. It could take all day to get there as well. Uh I'm I'm at five at the minute, I'm afraid, but I'll I'll give it another episode, I think. Yeah. The episode where the train from Snowpiercer crashes into (laughs) the silo is going to be really good. Right, where should we go next? Let's go. Where are my options? The power, the diplomat, or John's thing? (laughs) (laughs) Cover John's thing. Well, uh, <laughs> while I've been away, I've been listening to the podcast and mm. I heard a little snippet of Peter enthusing about the power mm. on the last episode and would like to hear more. Okay. Let's, let's empower Peter. All right. Let us. That's Peter does not need title. empowerment further. <laughs> oh, he you. has all the power already. He'll make us say whatever he wants. <laughs> Peter is a very nice man. So, The Power is a sci-fi show on Amazon Prime, based on Naomi Alderman's best-selling 2016 novel. The first season has nine episodes, and it's all available now. It's set in an alternate present day, where an organ called a skein, which can create an electric shock and electrocute people, has evolved in young girls' bodies, and a woman who's acquired the ability to harness it can activate it in others. How will this address the historic imbalance of power when all the women in the world can do it, and how will men react to this threat? It switches between five or six separate stories set all over the world. Tony Collette plays an American mayor being groomed for the Senate, whose daughter is one of the first to develop the ability, while her son's drawn under the influence of Urban Docs, a YouTube channel feeding poisonous ideas to young men about not allowing women to take their birthright. Eddie Marson, famous on this podcast for his shortness of stature and scrunchiness of face. Crumpled face is what <laughs> you said face, last time. Okay. He, he popped up in a Fast and a Furious last night. That was very confusing. See, I thought you were talking about Toby Jones. <laughs> <laughs> so he plays an East End London gangster whose stroppy, illegitimate daughter, Roxy, is working her way up in his gang. She's hilarious and reminds me a lot of Lauren Socha's character in Misfits. Very funny to watch, but you, you know she'd probably be a nightmare in real life. Tohib Jimo, who plays Sam Obasanya in Ted Lasso. 
brings a lot of that same charming naivete to the role of Tunde, a video journalist who gets a break at CNN from documenting events in Nigeria as the women rise up and protest in the streets. And there's a sequence set there around the fourth episode, which is a really great piece of TV and look magnificent. We also follow a girl at the convent who hears what she thinks is God in her head, telling her how to make the other girls follow her, and a young Russian gymnast who has sacrificed everything to compete and is being forced to date the elderly finance minister. Although the show shows many cases of long-standing female oppression and takes its themes seriously, it's nothing like the grimness of The Handmaid's Tale. The show has an all-female writer's room, and I think all the producers and directors are women too. Interestingly, production was moved at the last minute to the UK from Georgia due to their newly signed restrictive abortion laws. Quite right too. I'm about six episodes into the nine-episode series and still eager to find out what happens next. So that's quite a big ensemble cast going yes. on. Are they connected to each other? Or it feels it... to me a little like uh, the Heroes or Sense8 in that sort of spread mm. out, but each story is individually interesting and you, you actually care about each of the stories. There's only maybe one out of the six that I was less interested okay. in. It's not like, even though it's obviously playing with a, a fantasy element, it's based on what feels very topical and true yes. at the moment. Like, you know, the YouTube channels dedicated to you know, their target audiences, boys who, you know, this is what a man should look like or, yeah. or this is one should, how a man should you, act. You're pointing at John when you're saying that. <laughs> <laughs> I am the epitome of what a man should look like. More of a warning, really. <laughs> Yeah, so it's it's kind of does it bring in more um, kind of topical? Uh, yeah, very very much so. It does feel quite of the moment yeah. in a way, even though the book's a couple of years. Yeah, it's it's on my to read list. It's uh, Barack Obama recommended. Oh, right, Apparently, okay. he it was one of his favorite books of twenty sixteen. Twenty sixteen. Yeah, mm. doesn't strike me as the fantasy novel kind of reader, Obama. So that real world implication mm-hmm. and imagery must be. Quite strong. Does it feel plausible it, it when you're does. watching it? I mean, there's occasional flashes of something that might have worked in the boys or something, but the, the whole series is nothing like that. Mm-hmm. But like I say, the good thing is it's not. Handmaid's Tale can be a bit painful to yes, watch. I'm glad you made that reference because yeah. I, I tried with that and I just couldn't. So it's more upbeat. And mm-hmm. it, yes, I think so. Yeah. I mean, obviously things could go more seriously wrong as they become more powerful and men probably try and make moves against that. I don't know. I'm just guessing where it would go. But, you know, you can take fun in it as, despite the things it's complaining about. Yeah. <laughs> yes. It strikes me that as a TV show, it could feel a little bit similar to the soon-to-be-removed-from-Disney-plus Why the Last Man. Is anything like that in a sense of... Women now have the power. I mean, it's more direct and hands-on, if you'll pardon the expression, because, you know, they can literally zap people with Uh their hands. And I don't think so. I think it's it's more fun, even though it's dealing with serious stuff. And and it's good. Yes. Yeah, good. Not like Why the Last Man, man. (laughs) What kind of level of power are we talking here? Is it just a little, oh, static shock, or is it kind of full-on emperor, you have paid the price for your lack of vision (laughs) kind of thing? I think they start small, but I suspect they're going to get more and more amped up as it goes yeah can they charge a phone <laughs> yes they probably can would you describe it as unlimited power <laughs> uh it might be by the end okay but yeah someone does sort of seriously zap someone at one point do they have zap training montages this is how to zap the, in the, the there were a few cases where you see girls teaching the other girls how to do it yeah. <laughs> let me know that hazel did the swish and flick she did of the yes. wand while she said the spell <laughs> <laughs> I was taught to do it. Live your saw. But yes, I, th- I think you'd enjoy it, especially mm. Hazel, probably. Do you like zapping people? Yeah. <laughs> cool. How many zaps? How many zaps? Ten. Nine, I think. Mm. Yeah. I, th- I think it's really good. good. I'm really enjoying it. Very good. And that's on uh, Amazon Prime, did it you is. say? Yeah. We must try this. Nice. Right, Dan. You're steering this ship. Oh, this does okay. mean that ah, we iceberg. end with John. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, wait, Dan gets to choose. So oh, I've, good. I've got the diplomat or dead ringers. One's about a diplomat. <laughs> One's about impressions of George W. Bush. <laughs> John has already said that he's not sure he enjoys what he's recommending. Is the diplomat good? Yes. Yeah, okay, right, we'll go dead <laughs> ringers and then we'll finish on a high. Let's do that. So... 
Dead Ringers is... Uh, Dead Ringers. Uh, uh, <laughs> Dead Ringers is the new series on Amazon Prime, which is a gender-switched retelling of the 1988 David Cronenberg film, which in itself is based on a 1970s book called Twins. And uh, Dead Ringers, the 88 Cronenberg film, was nearly called Twins, but had to change its name. <laughs> uh, keeping a theme we've, we talked about, I think, before we went on air, uh, David Cronenberg doing horrible things with the same name as nicer things. <laughs> I take it this Twins is not Danny DeVito and Arnold Schwarzenegger? No, no. no. But uh, yeah, the Schwarzenegger DeVito film came out and Dead Ringers had to change its name from Twins to Dead Ringers, which I think is a much better title yeah. as a result. I don't know if people have seen the original Cronenberg film. <laughs> I was warned not to by my wife, who said it was a bit gruesome. It's fairly gruesome, but it stars um, Jeremy Irons as twin gynecologists. Who plays his twin? Uh, Jeremy Irons plays his twin. Oh, and who plays the first one again? The first one's Jeremy Irons. Oh, okay. But then Jeremy Irons plays the, the other Jeremy Irons. Oh, plays right, the twin. okay. Yeah. And it's, it's very good. It's kind of very well regarded, but it's kind of quite clinical and sterile. Bits of it haven't dated particularly well in terms of gender politics and so on. So what they have done with this remake is they have gender switched it and Jeremy Irons is now Rachel Weiss and Jeremy Irons is now Rachel Weiss. So does that mean it's the men that are pregnant? Sadly not, no. <laughs> they, they don't quite go that far. Um, and Sorry, it was... who does Rachel, Rachel Weiss? She plays Rachel Weiss. Rachel Weiss. No, she plays mm. Jeremy Irons. Oh, she, yeah. <laughs> uh, so Rachel Weiss and Rachel Weiss play twin gynecologists, <laughs> Beverly and Elliot Mantle, who want to create a better birthing experience for mm-hmm. women, putting women at the centre of the process. How can they not be at the centre well, of the process? <laughs> this is why I'm saying it's kind of not that enjoyable to watch in places. Um, you do in the first episode get a montage of people giving birth in good ways, in traumatic ways, in very, very sad ways. In terms of trigger warnings, it's it's a hard watch, both in terms of it's very graphic and if you've had any experience of birth births going wrong, mm. then go in carefully with that. But, you know, it's very interesting and things like sort of uh, race plays into it as well. The fact that um, somebody who happens to be a black woman seems to get worse poorer treatment than an equivalent Mm. white person, whether because of the level of medical care they have and so on. So that's all dealt with in the first episode and gives kind of the rationale for what they want to do and why they want to do it. But you also have this very, very twisted relationship between the two sisters who, although they look identical, are very different in personality. There is Elliot, who's much more outgoing, much more carefree and reckless. Um, you know, she takes drugs, she drinks a lot, even that's when she should be working. Beverly is much more introverted to the point where she has difficulty with relationships and is very much dependent on her sister. She's also gay, which is another switch from the original one. And when she sees a woman that she likes, but she is scared to approach, they do the old switcheroo. So the uh, much more outgoing Elliot will go out and seduce a woman. Even though she's not herself gay. Even though, yeah, she'll go out and seduce a woman, portraying Elliot, and then take her back and they will switch over. It doesn't shy away from the fact that that is a morally very bad thing to do. Mm. Um, particularly when Elliot begins to fall in love with an actress called Genevieve who visits the centre and then forms part of this kind of weird trio. At the same time, they're seeking funding for their birthing centre and they're having to go and meet funders and the stress and the pressure of this causes the relationships to fracture somewhat and the whole world that they're involved in beginning to slowly collapse. It's brilliant. It's really, really good. Mm. The first episode's amazing. The second episode, which I think, Peter, you saw... No, I haven't seen any of it yet. I do intend to, though. Yeah, the second episode, unfortunately, is is the weakest of all six of them. So you may get to episode two and go, actually, this doesn't live up to the promise of the pilot, but then Mm. it picks up again with episode three. It's been developed by Rachel Weiss and uh, Alice Birch, who is a British playwright. So it's it's created by women, which I think is very different. We talked about this again, similar Mm -hmm. to The Power, that it gives a different perspective on it. And no Cronenberg No Cronenberg involvement. involvement. He gave his blessing, but was not creatively involved. 
it takes the main beats of the Cronenberg film, but then goes into very different places with it. You've got similar plot lines, but widely diverging in places and at the conclusion. Rachel Weiss is having the time of her life, as is Rachel Weiss. <laughs> um, they're both really, really good in it. In the original movie, I, th- I think I've heard that you can really tell which character is which, even yeah. though they don't have, like, wearing a funny pair of glasses or a moustache mm-hmm. or anything to differentiate between the two. It's all with the acting. Is it the same in this one? Um, it's very much with the acting, but they also have different hairstyles and makeup. Mm. So one will have a hair in a bun or tied back and wear very plain makeup, and the other will be, like, more ostentatious. Most of the time, it's very clear who you are watching, except when it's not supposed to be. Yeah, okay. I know there's an element like that in the original movie, so yeah. presumably they're doing the same trick. You, you also said to me at one point that the first episode is quite graphic, mm-hmm. almost to get it out of the way and to really test the audience and say, okay, if you're not going to be into this, yeah. this will turn you off and you won't watch the rest of it. Does it chill out a bit later on? Uh, mostly. Okay. <laughs> is it a limited series, is it? It is. A, it's just a, that, it's not an ongoing... I would say it's a full limited series, there's a way you could do a series two, I think, if you wanted to, but it would be a very, very different series two. And where do Rachel Vice and Rachel Vice rank in the one person playing twins <laughs> canon? Because you've got Jeremy Irons and Jeremy yeah. Irons. Mm. Tom Hardy and Tom Hardy played twins once, did yeah. they not? Yeah. Uh, Army Hammer and Army Hammer oh. yeah. were the, twins. The, the Winklevoss twins. Yeah. yeah social network. The Winklevoss. The Winklevoss. Yeah. They're, they're the ones that come to my mind. Yeah. Lindsay Lohan. Yeah. Oh, Lindsay Lohan oh, yeah. and Lindsay Lohan. Yeah, they yeah. they played twins. We've got Ezra Miller clones, haven't we, in The Flash next month? Two Ezra Millers for the price of none. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, there's a massive billboard for The Flash just around the corner from your house that I drove past Is on my way here. Yeah. The best superhero movie ever. Really? According to the billboard. Yeah, I saw that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Could you imagine it was a quote to that and it just wrote the billboard at the bottom of that? <laughs> yeah. I know um, it, on with yeah, the... it wants to be the greatest superhero yeah. movie ever, but mm, it isn't. Not. <laughs> with um, Batman and Robin, there was a, a the big billboards. It had possibly the greatest film ever made, Jonathan Ross. <laughs> and that was all over. And he was talking about Citizen Kane. No, uh, he said later that he had a bet with your mate that he could get on the poster. <laughs> and they just didn't realise it would be massive letters all up because it was literally the only good quote for that film. Um, yeah, in terms of those one person playing twins things. She's really, really good. Yeah. Clearly having a lot of fun. It, when it gets dark, it gets dark. And when it gets sad, it gets sad. But it, it's similar to Succession where it's drama written as comedy almost. So when you get comedy writers to write drama, you get really, really good dialogue and every line is polished and very, you know, witty. You can tell that she's having fun. You'll see that in The Diplomat as well. I don't know the name, unfortunately, but she talks a lot about the actor who played her twin. Rachel Weiss. Rachel Weiss. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> to Jeremy yeah, Ives. you mean the, the stand-in. The stand-in. Yeah. And oh. said basically, it was really, really tough because she needed somebody to act against. Yeah. So they found somebody who was a really, really good stage actor, but wasn't quite where she would have an ego that she wouldn't actually be on screen. Wasn't mm. famous. Yeah. And apparently, like, you know, a lot of it was because she had somebody so good to act against, making an effort to name check her in all the interviews and make sure she gets mm. cut. Unlike you. Unlike me. Without going to spoilers, I originally thought the ending was quite weak. Mm. And then I thought about the ending. And now I love the ending, ah, which is okay. interesting. So it's a different ending to the film. Yeah. Because Jeremy Irons is Because Jeremy Irons is in There's an episode where they visit a dark Doctor father figure and he's played by Michael McKean. Oh. Ah. And I was so, they, they should have got Jeremy Irons. Uh, that, yeah. would, that was kind of a missed opportunity, <laughs> uh-huh. I think. But yeah, I, I loved it. I would highly recommend it just with the caveat that be aware when you're going in. And also, on a complete opposite note, skip forward through the first 20 seconds of the last episode because they put a spoiler warning at the beginning. Right. Trigger warning. A trigger warning. But that explains too much. Yeah, but the the trigger warning is very, very specific Mm. and you will know where the episode is going because of the trigger warning. But what if you'll be triggered? That's the <laughs> that's the catch. That's the no, catch. Yeah, might have been something that you would already have given up on if you were triggered by that mm, thing by that point. No. Was it okay? No, right. it's it's a, it's a different thing. I think maybe something that where they said if you want to know what it is, push this button or something like that. Yeah. But it's very 
we were discussing but, that before yeah. about how trigger warnings should work because obviously you know there's a, a small amount of the audience who it's really important they know mm-hmm. these things going in but yet you're kind of having to spoil it for everyone so i was thinking on these sort of platforms you should have almost like a set of 30 things and you, you, you can tick mark you, a little you, tick boxes you can for, do that under does the dog die can't you you can yeah, select yeah. I, I do check that website before pretty much every film to be honest because mm-hmm. sometimes they do sneak mm-hmm. a dead dog in it no don't do that mm-hmm. don't do that but yeah it's it's it's, it's a re- it's a really difficult one because i understand why it's there and it could be very upsetting to people mm-hmm. but it's specific enough that it spoilers the end of the show because having that spoiler warning means that's that's where it's going yeah mm-hmm. how many rachel vices out of 10 four pairs of rachel vices and an extra rachel vice from one of the mummy films nine so nine <laughs> nine rachel vices that's quite a lot that is a lot yeah playing non-nuplets not yet highly recommended <laughs> not the word is it i I've just realised you should have made a joke about both the Rachels being the same, so it was Rachel equality. (laughs) (laughs) It was vice of you not to say that. (laughs) Where are you going next, Dan? If only I had some kind of ambassador or diplomat (laughs) to tell me where to go. Diplomat! Yes, uh, this is a TV series that is relatively new to Netflix. Um, the showrunner is Deborah Kahn. Did anyone, did anyone know that name? Well, I've been listening to my pilot TV and I know she worked on the West Wing. Oh, yeah. She was she the got... bad guy in Star Trek too. <laughs> <laughs> she got her start as a writer on the West Wing, which is a hell of a place to learn your craft. She's also written for Homeland and Grey's Anatomy. Mm. And done a few films as well. The Diplomat is a political thriller stroke drama which, like the West Wing, concentrates on characters first, plot second. It is set in current times and in the opening scene of the first episode there is an attack on a British aircraft carrier in the Persian Gulf, killing 41 soldiers. At the behest of the US President... Catherine Wyler, who is played by Kerry Russell, reluctantly accepts the position of US ambassador to the UK. Catherine is a shrewd political operative and she's also an expert in the Middle East. She is whip smart and has a really commanding but also very charming presence. Her husband Hal, on the other hand, who is played by Rufus Sewell, is also a shrewd political operative but in a very, very different way to Catherine. He's quite a snake-like character, but not actually an out-and-out villain. But because of an accrual of some of his recent political actions, he's left playing the supportive partner role, whilst Catherine is given the actual responsibility, and safe to say he is struggling with that. They have quite the relationship, which gets more and more weird as the series develops. So the series takes place in the UK, within the Grand Ambassador's house and in sprawling countryside mansions, whilst key figures in the UK government try to figure out who attacked the ship and what their response is going to look like. So the key characters here are Prime Minister Trowbridge, who is played by Rory Kinnear, and Foreign Secretary Austin Dennison, played by David Gayasi. They are both exceptional in their roles, and there's also an excellent supporting cast who play Catherine's key advisors at the US Embassy. As a series, it is incredibly and frighteningly topical, so Russia's invasion of Ukraine is included within the storyline and becomes quite a big part of the plot. Politicians make decisions not based on facts or what the right thing to do is, but on how they will be perceived by the press and by the public. I wouldn't say it's the most riveting plot I've ever seen and occasionally it meanders and occasionally it goes off the rails. But what keeps the train going, well, it's the main reason I keep watching it. It's the characters and the wonderful performances. So Kerry Russell, I've always been a big fan of Mm. hers. I don't think I've ever seen her better than she is here. Um, You have seen The Rise of Skywalker. (laughs) Yes, I have. Yes. I would say this performance is slightly better than that. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Sorry. It's high praise. She's good in the Americans. She's brilliant in the Americans. <laughs> I think Deborah Khan has given her some solid foundations here. She's avoiding any stereotypes about career women. So like, you know, like boss bitch or like only doing this because she has secret daddy issues. Avoids all of that. Uh, she isn't perfect. She makes some very questionable decisions sometimes, but the fun is in watching her handle those decisions and also handle the egos of the male politicians around her. 
The Guardian compared her performance to Martin Sheen in The West Wing in that you wish she was playing the role in real life. And I think that's probably pretty accurate. All the episodes are on Netflix now. There's eight altogether. I've seen six, so I can't tell you if it sticks the landing yet, but I am very, very hopeful. And it's also been renewed for a second season, which given Netflix's cutthroat attitude to TV shows, uh, <laughs> the fact that uh, they've got a second series already shows that it's already been quite well received. Hmm. So you mentioned the plot mm. meanders a little bit. Is Sometimes. It, is it the kind of political thing where something happens at the end of each episode that makes you want to watch the next one or is it just all one big long story split into eight parts it is a big kind of long story but things get revealed and it's all about who actually attacked the ship but yeah it's uh, uh as i say the, the the characters are the things that drive it so there's enough there to make you want to watch the next one yes when the last one finishes yes because yeah. you're like oh okay how are they going to deal with that <laughs> yeah does it feel like it's telling the story from a, a british point of view or an american point of view or is it kind of neutral Pro- an american point of view is, is it sort of anti-british in that way or it's not anti-british i would say the well the prime minister doesn't come off very well mm. The foreign secretary is much better and, and is a very interesting, quite in-depth character. But when I say American point of view, it's all of the sprawling mansions and a very Britishness and about mm. tea and you know, the kind of the Ted Lasso. Oh no, I don't want to shit on Ted Lasso and John's here. Do it, but, I mean, <laughs> but yeah, the Britishness for Americans mm. bit of Ted Lasso has been way more obvious in the most recent season so i think you're justified that's true that's a good point coach (laughs) yes coach (laughs) but it's it's both as well because you kind of see both sides of these two governments coming together having to force themselves to work together in this special relationship and what gets affected and things like that and it's just like oh god please that's not how it happens in real life is it it is isn't it yeah oh god we're all gonna die (laughs) (laughs) I think it's a show that grows in strength as you keep watching it. Um, I I quite like it. The first episode, I thought it was okay. And then just it gets deeper and you get more into the characters. I particularly like the character of Hal, the husband. And I disliked him to begin with, but in a kind of you're supposed to dislike him way. He's a prick, but he's also not. But he is. Um, He really respects Catherine, but then you think, but why would he do that to her? He's but also a bit of a manipulator. Yeah. And he manipulates, but also because he's trying to do what he thinks is best, but he will run roughshod over everyone else's opinion and kind of force his way on other people because he's convinced that that's the best way to do it, that, that kind of person. Yeah. So a prick, but he's not a prick. Listen, yeah, that's why I said like, he's not an out-and-out villain. He's quite fun as well, he's charismatic. He is fun. He's having a, like the actor playing that Rufus Sewell is having a really good time. Uh, I quite like the majority of the political storyline. Mm. It's, it's quite smart in that regard yeah. and, and, and grown up, which is, is I appreciate. I also appreciate the fact that though it's carefully not bothered to state which political party to which the the, uh, the characters belong, the clearly Prime Minister Tory. is clearly, clearly the fucking Tory. Tory. <laughs> <laughs> Every episode he does so many fucking Tory things when he shows up in the car dickhead (laughs) he's he's very well played Rory Kinnear is doing an excellent job of as prime minister like trying to be sincere and but he clearly has issues and doubts about himself Hmm. and yeah massive massive what's the likelihood that Rory Kinnear is playing the same prime minister he played in Black Mary oh with the pig does a pig get fucked in the last game (laughs) yeah you don't often get to play the prime minister twice I haven't seen that episode. Oh, have you not? No. It was the first episode of Black Mirror. Okay. Yeah. yeah. It's very good. How, how do you think it works uh, incorporating real events? I mean, say yeah. the, the newsroom. Like the Prime Minister fucking a pig. <laughs> <laughs> Allegedly. Allegedly. Uh, uh, <laughs> and, and like the sort of Ukraine invasion you talked about, yeah. for instance. Because obviously that could backfire if, say, particular events there happened and sort of changed how that thing was perceived. Yeah, they mentioned that in the context of russia and what they're doing so it's less focused on what is actually happening in ukraine Mm. but more about what russia is planning long term Mm. right because um i mean the newsroom there with aaron sorkin theories that kind of did some of that didn't it it? but that 
did it by setting it in the past a bit. So by yeah, then like we've had time years. to absorb yeah. how events were perceived by then. Yeah, it was like it, they had a couple of years grace, whereas this, mm. um, you know, I, I assume it was made last year, so only a couple of months into the invasion. It doesn't go into specifics, but um, there is a lot of stuff about the context behind the invasion and Russia's long-term motives. Mm. Do you think it's better when shows do that and use our real world as their backdrop or that more vintage American TV thing where they make up the names of European and African countries (laughs) to do real issues, but they have fake countries because no one in America knows what Europe and Africa are. So does, it, does that mean if you ask Americans to list them, they'd probably list the countries that were in Dallas and th- all sorts of other... I think there were a lot of people who, and... for a while, thought Wakanda was a real place. <laughs> yeah. It does it in the West Wing as well. Well, it, yeah. it is well that's, Well, that's what I was thinking of. Like, even the West Wing, which is so rooted in real politics, would just yeah. make up countries in Europe and Africa because, yeah. you know, in the good old USA, who cares? Yeah. Well, I think the gloves are off with Russia at the moment, so mm. they can say anything. Yeah, I, I think maybe the time has gone where I would accept a made-up country. Yeah, I think I prefer telling it like it is. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Mm. But equatorial kundu is lovely this time of year. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. And Sokovia was a gorgeous holiday destination <laughs> before the Avengers broke Before they landed the city. <laughs> so how many... Diplomatic immunities. <laughs> oh, <laughs> Lethal Weapon. Weapon. have you been waiting? <laughs> Lethal, it's no, like John Colshaw's in the room, isn't it? <laughs> Lethal Weapon to Patsy Kensett. Yes. Yes. Does she have diplomatic immunity? Is that where it's going? Is she going to... Yes. Yeah? Well, Go on a full yeah, John Wick. The diplomat does have diplomatic immunity. Hence the name. Yes, I know, but does the diplomat in the diplomat use her diplomatic immunity to do things that she would otherwise not be immune to? She hasn't shot up an Argos yet. That's what I mean. (laughs) Does that mean you don't get coronavirus? I don't know anymore. (laughs) What was the question? How many diplomatic immunities (laughs) out of ten? I think I'm at eight at the moment. I'll watch the last two episodes and then I'll come on to the next podcast and be like, guys, don't watch this. <laughs> that is all for this episode of Nerdfest. Thank you so much for listening. We'll be back in a few weeks' time. Until then, please follow us on social media. We're at Nerdfest UK. And you know that thing you were going to do after the podcast? You're going to clean the dishes and then go for a lovely walk? Don't. Do something far more rewarding, which is leaving us a review on Apple Podcasts and then receiving this from John in return. You will get a lovely visit from me. And then about halfway through the visit, I'll go to the toilet and then I'll come back out of the toilet and my hair might be slightly different and I might be a bit bit quieter. But don't worry about that at all. God. (laughs) Until next time, you've been listening to... A man who can now reveal that the uh, trigger warning at the last episode was Deadwingers was that they just play Meatlust Deadwinger for Love five times. (laughs) (laughs) But now we're going to watch it. (laughs) A man who wants Apple to fund a Christopher Lloyd documentary. A man who, like Carly, was shocked by the power. (laughs) Like who? Carly. Shocked by the power. Do you want to do an alternate take that's about darts legend Phil Taylor? No. (laughs) (laughs) Um, a man who can now reveal that I have actually been my own twin this entire time. Oh. Dun, dun, dun. Dun. It was me, Jeremy Irons, all along. <laughs> <laughs> it's your best performance yet, Jeremy. Thank you. <laughs> I mean, you've Jeremy letter the shit out of that. Like, we've known you, what, 10, 15 years? <laughs> That's real commitment, that yeah. is. Yeah. What's different about your twin? I always wondered how you could be here and giving tours of the castle at the same time. And a diplomatic woman with diplomatic immunity. (laughs) (laughs) We'll see you next time. Bye bye. Bye. I think a future topic has to be worst accents in films. I can say worst accents by Andy on a podcast. (laughs) Pat Sikensitz in Lethal Weapon 2 is up there, but there must be other... Brad Pitt in um, The Devil's Own. Oh, God, yeah.
Keanu Reeves in Francis Ford Coppola's Bronze Dracula. <laughs> the Irish girlfriend in the second season of Heroes. Angel. Oh, his oh yeah. terrible. Yeah. Yeah. Like that's the worst one. Yeah. Uh, the most recent episode of The Rookie um, had a private security guard turn up and she started talking and we thought, is she trying to do an English accent? And turns out she's from Middlesbrough. Uh, <laughs> well, that was a thing like fucking um, Daphne and Fraser was from Manchester yeah. and couldn't oh, do the Daphne's accent. Daphne's brother. Yes. Anthony the Paglia. Mm. Doing his... Or oh, no. right, I'm from Manchester. <laughs> I've got the winner of everything. It's that bloke in Castle who tries to do a Geordie yes. accent. Oh, oh, yes. oh. <laughs> With the bagpipes in the back. Completely <laughs> incomprehensible. Oh. Oh. Oh, we've done that segment already. Ah, yeah. Good. Excellent. Oh, All right. Next time, oh. good accents.